when that bass crashes in, you know it's time to begin another episode of DLC, your downloadable conversation for the week, wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune into DLC. We're right there with you. If you got your commute, if you're if you're sitting in your car in traffic right now, hating your life, we're so glad you tuned us in. We're going to help you out. Also, if you're working out or you're on a run, we're going to give you some gaming goodness in your ear holes to maybe help you through that workout because uh, DLC is delivered to you the way we like it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Pond5 and Hover. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. Game uh, DLC is all about games. Games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who always knew there was water on Mars, because he saw it while he was playing Destiny, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Good to be here. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Uh, I'm kind of actually really stoked about this whole water on Mars. We have a blood moon last night, water on Mars today, uh, The Martian coming out soon, which is a fantastic movie. It's all about space. Let's get back there, huh? Let's do it. No? No one can hear you scream, though. <laughs> That's where no one can hear you scream. Uh, this is not a space podcast. Uh, it is a gaming podcast. And, you know, people always ask me what DLC stands for, and I always have to tell them it's Downloadable Kanata downloadable christian but this week oh my gosh we're excited because we have a brand new guest and dlc stands for discover you like chores because we have the founder (laughs) of chore monster mr chris bergman welcome chris hey guys thanks for having me i just want to say uh cincinnati Bengals three and oh yeah man impressive come from behind uh win fourth quarter was crazy in that game i was very impressed um christian uh your your uh your texans are off the schneid too they were zero and two right now they're one and two like my niners yeah the texans niners uh worst bowl is coming up and i'm looking forward to uh watching <laughs> neither team score points may the worst team lose okay um uh chris so i referenced the fact that you're you are the founder of chore monster uh i think this is a fascinating idea and a fascinating concept and a fascinating product um, tell us a little bit about what Chore Monster gamifies. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. Um, so Chore Monster is a web and mobile app that allows parents and kids to actually enjoy doing chores. So kids gain points, turn them in for real life rewards that their parents provide, like your in our of Xbox, um, television show, canoe trip, sharp knives, you know, really whatever a parent wants to give a child. Um, and then on top of that... <laughs> Uh, kids also can earn over a hundred different interactive monsters or a consolation prize, like a jar of farts, dirty underwear, stinky socks, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, for us, like our ultimate goal, um, is to, uh, our ultimate mission is to, to turn every home into a joyful place. And we do that by, uh, helping kids get good stuff for doing things around the house. It's cool, man. You have become our buddy, and uh, you are an avid gamer, and and we, we wanted you to have wanted to have you on the show. Uh, but I also think it's an interesting perspective to come from somebody that is using game theory and creating game like hooks into something that is inherently not fun, like doing chores. I think your perspective today is going to be really interesting. 
Yeah, man. I mean, it. so for me in particular, it's uh, about behavior modification and it comes from my own behavior modification, right? Like I, I'm somebody who is lazy <laughs> and uh, and hates labor and I needed to find a, a way f- to make those things fun and found that applied game mechanics is is the uh, the best route to do that for me in particular. And then, you know, we, we launched this thing in 2013 and um, on iOS, we launched on Android last year. And um, and I'm just blown away by how effective it is that like that we didn't realize what we were building at the time. Right. And only after the fact are we like, oh, wow, this like there are people that this is really helpful for, you know, especially kids that are having behavioral issues and challenges and, um, you know, just kind of giving parents and kids an opportunity to talk about the things in their house and give kids a voice um, for, you know, the things they may want. That's awesome, man. It's, and again, it's called Chore Monster, and uh, it's available on iOS and Android. Is that right? Yep. iOS, Android, Windows 8, um, Kindle, uh, a few other things as well. Um, I'm trying really hard to get it on the Oculus. I don't know if we'll be able to pull that off. We'll try. <laughs> yeah, um, we got. I mean, we're, we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. But if you are uh, sick of us talking about VR, this is not the episode for you. Oculus Connect <laughs> 2 happened this week uh we, we we will be talking about it but guess what i'm a man of my word and we also played a lot of destiny this week so there will be destiny talk later on in the playlist so fear not destiny lovers and vr haters uh if you're a vr lover though uh get excited because we're about to jump into story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week it's the story Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. Chris, you are our guest. You get first pick. Uh, people can submit stories also using our hashtag, a DLCSOTW, on the Twitter or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. And uh, Chris, what is your Story of the Week to kick us off? Oh, man. I mean... Uh, my story of the week is definitely just VR in general. Um, all this stuff that came out of Oculus Connect 2. Uh, the Gear VR coming in November for Christmas retail at $99. Bucks, um, to me, is a big deal. I think it's going to sell a ton of phones. I think there's going to be a lot of kids that want VR that are hitting the age where where their own mobile phone is something that their parents are looking for. And, you know, to to be able as a parent to say, hey, we're not only we're going to give you a phone, but we're going to give you access to VR as well. Um, I think that's huge. I think that's huge for the for the Christmas season, the holiday season in general. Um, and then Minecraft coming to, to VR as well. Um, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when uh, Notch tweeted out like, hey, we were in talks to do a Minecraft version with oculus and he like his tweet was literally i just canceled that deal facebook creeps me out right mm-hmm. and here we are two years later and carmack has been able to uh to bring my to oculus so uh, to me those are i don't know man it's just i'm super stoked i'm stoked for vr i think this this holiday season that is what is going to happen is it's going to be uh it, it is going to be the holiday season of vr yeah, I'm. I am also very excited. We'll step through these stories one at a time because I think I think you're right. They're both pretty big. Um, Gear VR for ninety nine bucks is is a pretty tantalizing deal. It's the first time, honestly, that I have decided that I would want a Samsung phone. This is this is a major major reason, a major temptation to get a a Samsung Galaxy phone for me and from from my perspective. And ninety nine bucks is a pretty great. Uh, 
you know, number to, to slap onto VR. Of course, you have to have the phone, which is not cheap. Uh, but, you know, people justify phone purchases pretty easily. And 99 extra dollars. The, the cool thing is I went down to, to uh, Oculus Connect 2 this weekend and um, – or this week, I should say. And I got a chance to try out that uh, Gear VR headset. And I was very impressed with it. Um, I'll talk more uh, in the playlist about the specific games I got to try. But um, just from a hardware standpoint, I really thought it would be a lot less um, impressive than what I've played with the Vive and the Oculus and uh, Morpheus, which is now called PlayStation VR. Um, But it isn't. You know, obviously the games themselves don't have the horsepower behind them, so you're not going to get quite the graphical beauty that you would get from a high-end PC, but I would say the the VR experience itself, the motion tracking, the um the lack of nausea, all of that stuff, I I really couldn't tell any difference between using the Gear VR headset and using one of the what will be very much more expensive VR headsets. And I think that is is a huge plus. Um and I think that it's very important that that the experience that people get slapping their phone into this ninety nine dollar headset uh, is is a positive one. It's very comfortable. It's very light. Uh, I found it to be extremely comfortable. I I used it for quite a long time, and I didn't have any problems with with how it felt. And there's there's no tether to it. There's no wires because you just stick the phone inside it. Uh, and and I think that mobile VR experience is pretty exciting. Christian, tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong per se. It is exciting, and I hate being the Grinch who stole VR. It is exciting. This thing isn't going to do it. When when Chris says that this is going to sell a lot, um, nope. <laughs> there's no way. There's there's no way this is going to. Maybe a lot is is ten, if that's what you mean by a lot. Um, the market isn't ready for this type of VR. The cell phone VR doesn't deliver the VR experience that is promised when people talk about VR because the HTC or the Oculus where you're in this world and you're doing all this cool stuff and you're, you're playing Doom, I don't know, whatever it is. And cell phones are super powerful, but every time uh, Samsung or Apple unveils their new phone, the first thing gamers are trolling about is like, well, still can't play Xbox 360 quality games, lol. Yeah, right. Um, and it still has a ton of hurdles. It's comfortable. It's nice that they're doing it. I love that they're doing it, but this will not be the thing that sells gangbusters. It's, it's complicated. It's burdensome to put on. You're carrying all this stuff around with you or putting it onto your head and you're killing your phone's battery life that when your phone is your phone, you're not going to be using it for this type of thing. I'm, I am, I am sorry. I am sorry, but I, I'm willing, Mr. Kanata. I don't know. We'll come up with numbers. I will bet both of you. Uh, what, 25 bucks, 50 bucks, that this thing does not move the needle in terms of the general popular appeal of VR one bit. One bit. Well, I don't know how you measure that uh, and if we're talking wagering. I, I'm, I actually kind of agree with you that I don't, I don't think it's going to be a titanic shift in, in people getting on board, but... Well, I think it will think be a you... titanic shift just <laughs> after it hits the iceberg. <laughs> no, I, I think that this is actually contrary to... to your premise i think this is actually a great way to introduce people to vr because literally like all you need is this this headset and it it is a freestanding device that you can carry around with you in your backpack and and all you do is slap your phone in it and you can have somebody try it and i think that 
trying it is really believing it. And I think that's the, that's the thing. Uh, Chris, I'm curious what you think about this, this other um, announcement they mentioned with, with gear VR supporting Netflix and Twitch. Do you think people are going to want to watch movies in a VR space? Um, well, I, I think a couple things are going to happen um, specifically with, with movie watching. So uh, Twitch, Twitch is, is kind of a, a bizarre thing in and of itself. And, and I want to table that for a second, but, but Netflix to me and, and the gear experience of watching movies, the, the best instance I've seen of that is on an airplane. Um, you look like a tool, which I think we're, it's, it's granted at this point, we, we can all accept that if, if we own a gear and I own a gear VR, I have one of the, the innovator editions now. Um, and, uh, and we know that we're going to be mouth breathers watching this thing. But I've I've worn it on a plane before, right? And and it is it's it's so immersive. And you 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 put the headset on. You're sitting in a theater. You're watching a movie as though you're you're in a movie theater, right? And for me, I think especially people that have anxiety with travel or or those type of things, to be able to um, watch movies in general on on the Gear VR is going to be awesome. Uh, Netflix, it, there's a there's a couple of hurdles there, right? Because like that doesn't that doesn't help in any travel situations because you mm. still need to be tethered to some sort of Wi-Fi or, you know, any sort of streaming service and Twitch is in the same boat, right? Like if, if the question is, and this is for gear specifically, not necessarily VR in general, but like gear is a travel VR uh, unit. Right. Um, and in the same way that you aim in the gear VR as opposed to the it's to me, that's, that's uh, similar to like mobile gaming versus um, you know, PC gaming. And so the experience is, is going to be mobile as the case, like any sort of streaming service, I think is isn't going to, um, you know, help or hinder it one way or the other. Um, I think what what'll be fascinating, you know, how can I how can I watch downloaded movies on my phone on the airplane in an immersive environment where I can ignore the fact that there's some hairy dude's elbow touching my elbow, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think that's where the value is there. Um, but like as as far as the thing that I find interesting with with Gear VR being ninety nine bucks is like when you look at the Android phones, the Samsung phones that um, that will um, support Gear is they tend to be the higher end phones, right? And, and if you look at the demographic of owners that have those phones, um, they're typically tinkerers, so they're early adopting. You know, so, I mean, we're talking SX, uh, the S six Edge, the Galaxy Note five, like. These are phones that tinkerers typically own, right? You know, I run a tech company, right? And and we have, we literally have a wall of Android devices. And, um, you know, my engineers have a Note 5 right now, almost all of them. And the, that's their personal phone that they love to tinker with, right? And I think these are the early adopters that are, are going to be the ones that are like, I am buying Gear VR so I can share it with my friends. Uh, because they're, the, they're going to be the, um, um, what's the word that I want? They're going to be the people that t- that want to tell their friends about gear, and so yeah. I will take that back. And I bet they at least do one hundred fifty thousand, two hundred thousand units this Christmas. Wow, that's a bold prediction. I, I I would love I would love for that to happen. I would love for people to adopt it in, in that in that high number. I'm certainly excited about it, having tried it. And you said you have the Innovator Edition, uh, the one that they were showing at Oculus Connect Two is twenty two percent lighter. Um, and has better feel overall. And I think that makes a huge difference too. Um, and, you know, talking about on the, on the plane, people are already wearing ridiculous sleeping night masks, right? So I guess, <laughs> I guess there's, uh, there's that. You don't, look, you don't mind looking goofy with your weird neck pillow and your, and your you know, 
sleeping mask. It's uh, it's already silliness. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was just very impressed with it. I think that price point is pretty attractive for people that already have the phones. Uh, and we'll have to see. Uh, the other story that you brought up is uh, Minecraft coming to VR. Christian, do you think that, that um, that's a, a big deal? I mean, I think, I think you know, Chris is somebody that deals with what kids like. Minecraft certainly is what kids like. And getting them into the VR space, despite Notch's reservations, might be a real positive thing. What do you think, Christian? I think it's a nice um, notch on the belt. <laughs> notch. Um, I, I think that they need Minecraft 2 or whatever the next, you know, unpredictable, huge viral hit is. Adding something that's already a hit on every device onto another device isn't necessarily going to be the reason to get this product. Um, I believe Microsoft, the retail edition for the Xbox Xbox 360, the Minecraft there is still traditionally one of the best sellers and NPDs every month, while it's still available on Xbox One and PS4 and everywhere else. Like This isn't the game that is pushing people to upgrade their tech. And if it adds something you know, really add something to that game. I don't think it does. You're just turning your head to look around your creation instead of dragging your mouse to look at your creation. And that game to me is almost better from, you know, higher up in aerial view. You're building the enterprise, not walking around the enterprise, manually placing each brick one at a time. I'm I'm happy to be wrong there. But no, Jeff, I do not think that it is going to be um, the thing that that sparks it with the younger generation. Um, yes, I, you know, I, I think Minecraft is a big deal. I think, uh, certainly John Carmack thought it was a big deal. He said that it was his quest, uh, trying to get Minecraft onto Oculus, that he was pestering Notch and pestering Microsoft and trying to work it out, uh, through lawyers, you know, which is kind of that, that's really the challenge. He said it wasn't a technical challenge. It was a, it was a legal challenge. And, uh, I think that could be really cool. You know, we've already seen an impressive Minecraft demo on the uh, on the Hololens, and I think that Minecraft in VR could be really, really interesting. Um, you know, they all there's some other announcements from from Oculus Connect. The the keynote, uh, the fact that they are working on these Oculus ready PCs, so there'll be a sticker or some sort of notification saying, "Hey, this PC is ready to go." It'll give you a great Oculus experience. I think that's a positive thing, so people know they want to get into VR. What, what kind of PCs they can get and get them in. Uh, I think that's great. And, uh, and they showed a lot of really awesome games. Um, you know, they showed that bullet time demo, which I thought was pretty cool, showing a very, a very traditional shootery kind of game done in VR and what makes it special with the touch controllers. I mean, grabbing a rocket out of the air, it's pretty awesome. Um, and I, I played some other stuff too. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more in the playlist about that. But um, I thought overall a pretty exciting conference it's a little bit of a bummer that, you know, all these devices are, are coming in 2016, except for the Gear VR itself. But um, I'm certainly very excited about what VR has to offer. And I think that the even even more so with the touch controllers, those controllers are just so cool. Uh, I don't know. Did you guys see the um, the Valve demo with the uh, hyper-realistic, photo-realistic environments where you're like in that office that looks like the actual real-world office and then... Uh, a portal robot shows up and then he's teleported into um, like an outdoor green rolling hill cliff side area. Anybody, did you guys see that? No, nah, I missed it, man. I, I did not. Oh, it's so incredible. It's really, really something. 
we're on the verge of something, guys. I know uh, I know Christian thinks it's farther away than I do, but I, I I'm very excited about it. Lots of cool discussion in the in the chat room about it as well. Um, people people are conflicted, and I think that the skepticism melts away a lot if you if you try these things in a in a great environment. Yes, it might be hard to have them be a great environment in your home, but uh, but we shall see. Uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? For me, it has to be what SAG-AFTRA, the Actors Union, is trying to do for video game VO actors. And this started making the rounds last week or early last week, maybe right after last week's show. Um, and it's interesting because um, Will, Will Wheaton had tweeted out his kind of thoughts on it. And if you don't know him, Star Trek does a lot of VO in games as well. Big time geek, board game guy and video game voice actor, among other things. Um, and I'm curious where you two fall on this issue, just to paint the picture right now, there really isn't any agreement between voice actors um, and the, the large billion dollar companies they work for. And um, they haven't been willing to negotiate on what seems like trivial matters. And so now, you know, the union is really trying to get involved and, and trying to get some working conditions for them in terms of uh, vocally stressful sessions being limited to around two hours, but also trying to get residual payments for the actors. Um, it kind of blew up. I think it was GTA four where one of the voice actors, you know, I guess um, was naive in, in what they expected <laughs> the game to do, but just got a session fee and a buyout and then saw the money the game was making and was like, wait a minute, um, <laughs> this seems crazy. And so I don't know if that's the necessarily the right part. I think, Residuals are nice for actors. I think good quality voice acting does make a game a million times better. But I think more interesting to me are trying to get um, minimum level uh, work environment, quality of life things, things that let these actors keep doing what they're doing past grinding out 12-hour sessions of yelling commands over and over and over again and and frying their vocal cords. Um Jeff, you are an actor. Chris, you have experience with voice actors. Um, where do you guys fall on this? Chris, do you have a, a strong opinion one way or the other, or is it just kind of a little outside your realm of expertise? Oh, no. Um, it's it's very much inside my realm, just from the, the sense that I do hire voice actors pretty regularly, um, or we do them ourselves. Um, my worry, though, is that uh, both you guys are in the entertainment business and you're not going to like what I have to say. I will like what you have to say and then I will disagree. Yeah. With it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, for me, as a, a, um, a guy that owns a corporation, uh, uh, literally, technically, um, it, my biggest challenge is as, as a creator and a maker is always to do as little budget as possible um, to, uh, to get the most out of my dollar. Right. And, and um, as an entrepreneur, like unions are, in my opinion, like they, they halt um, uh, people making things. They, they, um, they tend to um, come in and, and create a situation which makes it, not feasible for for people to go and and build the stuff that they want to build from a budget standpoint right um and and i think i i don't think it's fair to you know if if it's activision or ea to to think any differently like just because i'm a, a small startup like i i think the corporations have the same issues as well and um 
I, I, my worry with this, uh, from the perspective of a guy that owns a company and runs a company, is that this is going to create the already astronomical budgets that we have for AAA games and add another 20 or 30% on top of that. Um, you know, and uh, I think at that point, because like, I, I mean, my, my hypothesis is guys like Nolan North get paid very well to do what they do. Like, they're incredibly talented. Um, you know, he himself well, made Destiny a hundred times better. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> we're not talking about the Nolan Norths of the world, right? There's like three of yeah. those. Uh, so we're talking about we're talking about the dudes that go in and scream for a living and tear up their vocal cords and and get you know three hundred dollars. That's the reality of, of of VO work in video games. And I should definitely say there's a huge caveat to all this, huge grain of salt you should take because I am a proud member of SAG-AFTRA <laughs> and I uh, actively seek employment as a voiceover artist, right? So. I have a I have a, a horse in this race, and um, I'm not going to be impartial about it. But uh, you know, if, if, taking off the table just sort of the idea of unions in general, and you know that's a that's a political argument. I think that we're not really prepared to make on this show. But um, I I happen to be pro union personally. But I I feel like in this particular case you're seeing these very high profile people, which is, which is the way SAG works is right. Is the the high profile people have to step up to the plate and say, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to go on strike and not work to try to get things better for the little guy. And that's, that's the idea of unions is like, you want the big people. Well, the little people have to sort of, we have to have a rising tide that (laughs) lifts all boats. Right. So we need to have better conditions uh, or stuff, stuff that is asked of people, in these rooms that is harmful to their vocal cords and they're kind of paid crappily. Uh, and, and people can point to the, you know, the big high profile, you know, the Patrick Stewart walking into uh, oblivion and getting paid a whole bunch of money, but that's not the reality of most of the people who make their living doing VO. That's just but I don't understand. Like, all right. I, I, I don't mean to jump in. I, I just, no, I don't please. understand how, like if if you get paid three hundred dollars to scream for twelve hours, like you also have the choice to not take that job, right? Uh, and I think that that's that's uh, the idea is um, you're saying supply outweighs demand. You're saying that the there's so many people willing to go in and scream for twelve hours that we'll just find somebody else. And what the union is saying is, okay, well you can't have any of the best people in the world at that. So go for it, and we'll see who wins. Like if you are willing to get scrape the bottom of the barrel on the talent, then that's that's that is the idea of going on strike, right? Is you, if you, if you don't want the best of the best to do this, if you think that any old person can do it for any amount of money, and that the premium of the the people who are trained and effective and will deliver the kind of quality that you're looking for, if you're not willing to pay for that, then those people w- aren't willing to work for less, right? That's the idea of what a union does. Five days ago at Will Wheaton's website, willwheaton.net, he posted a blog. This is why I support SAG after strike authorization for video games. And it's not about money. And and to me, I mean, I hear both of you guys talking about money. And, and certainly I think residuals would be nice or even higher pay. But people in the chat are mentioning how, you know, these big billion dollar companies don't treat their devs uh, worth anything. Why will they treat the VO actors um, worth anything as well? And I agree with that sentiment that there is a larger problem here with how 
games are made often. I mean, there's a problem with how iPhones are made. There's a problem with how the rug in your house is made, right? I mean, these are bigger issues than can be solved on a 90-minute video game podcast, unfortunately. But what I think is interesting about, you know, Will's post and about getting VO actors some recognition is, you know, he talks about how they don't have time limits for the amount of time that you can go in there and scream and yell. And when the actors try to complain about that, they're fired. And so his thought is, and I'm paraphrasing Will's post, so please go and read that for specifics, but it's just getting these companies to the bargaining table at all to talk about some workplace protections because more and more of these games are these huge productions. And if you're not going to protect the talent that's doing it, even if you are just a screamer, right? And you're not, um, it doesn't matter who you are. You're, you know, you're not Nolan North. You're still important in making these games better. And you've made a living for yourself doing this. And they hired you for a reason, because at some point they thought you were the guy to scream commandos go. Um, or whatever the command is, um, the fact that there are so little workplace protections for the type of work these people are doing and to then assume that it's not demanding or challenging because, oh, well, you're just talking for an hour. Look at musicians and the number of times, I'll get some flack for this, but the number of times Celine, Celine Dion has had to cancel a tour because, you know, your throat is a muscle like anything else and you can only do so much with it. Um, so I Again, like Jeff, I too am a member of the union and have a, a horse in this race. Um, but I feel like the, the bigger issue is bringing these billion-dollar companies to the table to talk in some form or fashion. Um, I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger issue, as you said, than we have time really to get into. But it is interesting, and uh, it, it could potentially change a, a lot of the way that games are made. Um, or good or ill, depending on your point of view. So uh, it's going to be something to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I'm glad we had different points of view expressed on this show. I think it's, I think it's important to uh, look at it from all sides. And I, I certainly am not able to be objective. <laughs> so uh, also, Chris, I'm available for VO work if you need. Uh, hey, all right. Uh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> but I need, I need you to scream for 12 hours. That's the only catch. I could do that. And I work cheap. Um, <laughs> Wait, Jeff, what happened? <laughs> hey, if you need amazing sound effects, music, imagery, even moving pictures for your online project or media project of any kind, can I interest you in our sponsor? Pond5. Oh my gosh, Pond5 is great. One of the best things about Pond5 is that they... They provide royalty-free music and imagery and all kinds of stuff, sound effects, really anything you might need, motion graphics templates, all kinds of stuff. But they also compensate the artists really well for it. It's great. Uh, they have some of the highest payouts in the industry, meaning you're going to find high quality and diverse content. And you don't have to pay. It's, it's, license free, it's royalty-free, a license that is royalty-free, so you're not going to have to pay it ongoing. Uh, you can create all kinds of really interesting content, plug and play their motion graphics templates, their music, their sound effects, their video clips, their images, and it's affordable. Even more so because we're going to give you 25% off your next purchase. All you got to do is visit pond5.com. That's P-O-N-D-5.com, the number 5.com, and uh, use our promo code. Our promo code is DLC. And uh, check out their library. If you're building a website, if you're doing uh, videos, uh, YouTube stuff, and you need music, 
anything that you might need, I bet you you could find on Pond5. So Pond5.com and then the promo code DLC will give you 25% off. That's pretty great. Pretty, pretty great. Check it out. Thanks to Pond5 for supporting our show. Um, guys, my story of the week, I'm definitely on the VR train uh, for story of the week, but there's some really interesting other stuff. Christian, I'm very surprised that you didn't uh, pick out this this notion that the Vita might be Sony's final mobile gaming device. They're saying well, I also a, didn't pick story of the week the week my grandma died. That's not the thing I want to talk about for 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, it that, is it that depressing to you that there's not going to be a successor to the Vita? Evidently, uh, uh, Shui Yoshida, the uh, uh, chief of Worldwide Studios for Sony Entertainment, said that uh, a successor to the PlayStation Vita is not likely because the climate is not healthy for mobile gaming ready devices uh, because people have phones in their pocket, kind of what we've been talking about for the last five years. Um, no surprise to anyone, I'm guessing with what, you know, the support they've shown for the Vita, the sales of the Vita. It's not a surprise, but it kind of sucks to hear the dude come out and say it explicitly. Right. Yeah. I don't know if, if, phones i mean i know it's the reason they give so it's hard for me to as a lay person to say that's that is the reason i think mobile phone gaming is even bigger in japan than it is here in terms of fighting away from the handheld market um but i I feel like did i say it on this show or maybe it was when chris and i were just talking when we were hanging out last time he was in town i feel like the bigger problem for sony is they make this great tech, but they don't have a way to sell it or, or market it or know what to do with it or why it's even included <laughs> in their tech. Um, and so I, I think there are larger problems for Sony's handheld division than the the mobile phone market spreading. But again, that's just me. Chris, are, you're not even a Vita guy, are you? You believe in VR, but you won't put a beautiful formerly OLED screen in your pocket? Vita's garbage. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> I, you know, to me, I think, I think what is great about this is that Yoshida's uh, saying, hey, we have a core focus and that core focus is no longer handheld. I mean, I think from a leadership standpoint, to be able to, to make that decision and move forward is the absolute best thing that he as a leader can do for Sony to say, look, PS4 were focused, you know, and, and there's accessories in PS4 and what have you. But like, our consoles were, were, were keeping everything. And like, by doing that, they're, they're able to bring the whole studio together, the whole group together on a, on a core focus, as opposed to to splitting that off and saying, Hey, look at this, you know, beautiful OLED screen that nobody wants to make software for. I mean, I, I still can't get over the fact that, that the PS4 is an x86 architecture. Like they have, when you, when you take a look back over the past couple of years at, at, at Sony steps, towards getting to where they are today which i mean i don't know about this but from from where i sit like they're the undeniable leader in you know the console race like that has been so purposeful and this is just another step in the direction hmm. yeah i mean it, I, I think it's interesting i i'm certainly not surprised that uh you know you, everybody's got a gaming device in their pocket and just because it has twin sticks on it which I think makes it better for gaming doesn't mean that people are going to start putting it in their pocket. Um, Christian in the, in the chat room, uh, somebody asked what your perfect successor to the PS P would be, what the, the, the Vita would be. What would you want? Do you want them to continue making that have a new one? That's just more powerful. What would you want? I mean, stats one asked that by the way. 
Well, yeah, the dream is more power, more battery, and um, a button layout that maps the console controller button layout. So all of the triggers, all of the clickies, and um, as powerful as it can be with the battery that lasts as long as as long as possible. The real answer, though, is what Chris was hitting on, which is killer software, which is the same problem, you know, the chicken or the egg thing we're talking about with VR, where really the, the 3DS is not as powerful as the Vita, doesn't have the same buttons as the Vita, doesn't utilize the DS. You know, Jeff, you had talked about how by making it 3D, they kind of limited one of the cool things about the old DS in terms of the book and interacting with your individual character on the play screen and, and this, that, and the other. But they've had really, really great only available on 3DS software that the Vita simply hasn't had. The Vita's had some incredible games, but their exclusives um, aren't system sellers, in my opinion. Uh, the indie games play great on it, but you can play those anywhere else. And so for me, it is. It's that you want it to be as powerful with the longest battery as possible and then a, a an experience that is only available on that console. The bigger problem, though, I think, is that handheld gaming isn't as prevalent as it used to be because more TVs are cheaper, consoles are smaller, and more and more people have a way to game not on the one family TV that growing up, for me at least, there was one TV that, you know, we were lucky to have. And if you wanted to do something else, maybe you could scrape together and afford to get a Game Boy to entertain yourself. Now there are a million other ways to entertain yourselves. And I feel like more and more homes have, you know, four TVs, it seems like. It, it's yeah, it's crazy. I mean, but it's it's really about the fact that there are tablets and phones. I mean, that that's what it's about. If if you want to game on the go, there is no shortage of ways to game on a device you already have in your pocket. You you don't have to think to bring your other well, gaming device. The 3DS is smart because they're saying, hey, we're aiming at a market that is pre-phone. <laughs> this is, I mean, a, a lot of kids are getting phones younger and younger, as I'm sure Chris will attest. But I think the the truth is that, uh, you know, parents probably feel a lot more comfortable giving their kids this more durable clamshell uh, you know, less expensive gaming device to carry around with them uh, and that it's aimed right at all the software is right for them and uh, they can't just hop onto a store and buy things willy nilly. It's a, you know, it's a walled garden. And I think that that's where the 3DS is doing better. But well, the truth is, if you've got a phone, you've got a gaming device already. Well, I mean, I'd go a step further down that argument, though, and say that most of the kids, <laughs> I'm so outdated, um, it's not even necessarily gaming on their phone as much as it is Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, you know, whatever. More and more you see people sitting in a waiting room. Yeah, people are playing threes or dots or whatever they're playing or Minecraft, but there's a million other things that you can be doing that aren't gaming that fit that time waster role. You could be updating your chores for your kids. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are literally millions of businesses that couldn't have existed 10 years ago because these phones weren't around and that is taking away from gaming not other games per se yeah not only that like from a uh a handheld standpoint like the the biggest competitor for handhelds isn't just mobile devices but it's hand-me-down mobile devices so it's not just the fact that like hey you know apple has a new iphone out it's that mom doesn't have to go buy another iphone for their kid they can just give them their old one because they're upgrading so like you have these life cycles that are happening inside the home and the kids are becoming a part of that life cycle and so now a kid 
you know, actually, I mean, it's, it's last time we checked, it was 86% of kids under the age of 12 in the U S have, um, um, some sort of, of, they own a a handheld device, a a mobile device of some sort. Right. And the reality is, is, is most of those devices are pre-owned from the parents. They're not even devices that the parents are going out and buying. So you're getting an entire inventory of the market that's just disappearing because there's no yeah. reason for a parent to go out and buy that for their kid when they can just give them their phone. That's, that's a fantastic point. And, and that just doesn't exist with, with dedicated gaming handhelds. You know, you can, you can convert the phone that you've been using for a year or two years into your kid's gaming device and you, you it doesn't work the other way. I think that's an excellent point. Um, all right, like I, I, my vote is to move on to the players because we've got a lot of great games to talk about. Was there any other news stories that we have to hit? Christian, I know you added a few here to the to the list. We never have to hit anything, buddy. Let's get to that playlist and talk about Destiny. Sounds good. Yes, please. Ooh, The playlist is where we talk about the games we've been playing. Um, I promised I would play Destiny this week. I did. Uh, we have all been playing it. Chris, let's start with you. Uh, but I want to do it in the context of this email that was sent in. We got an email sent to us. You can send emails to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This was sent in by Justin from Dallas. He says, uh, hi, guys. I played Destiny when it came out last year, and I did not dig it at all. Didn't even finish the main story missions. It was empty, lifeless. And you could tell this was a shell of the game they wanted to make. I picked up the Legendary Edition last week, and it's like a totally different game. I'm loving it, and I'm not even to the Taken King content yet. Starting from the beginning again with the new interface, way more loot drops, missions from both the smaller DLCs. It's just a totally different game. I'm hoping you guys found this new Destiny as significant as I'd have as I have. I'd encourage anyone to give it a second shot. What do you think? Chris, do you agree? Um, I do. Justin in Dallas. First of all, I apologize for Romo, but um, <laughs> pretty glad to do that. Uh, second of all, um, I had the exact same experience happen to me. Um, I uh, so so my first exposure to Destiny was actually in 2013 at GDC. They had an art panel. Um, where it, it was Joe Staten, Stanton, um, the previous writer for Destiny, who left in 2014. Went up on stage, talked about, you know, this was the first real exposure to the game, talked about how they're trying to merge fantasy and sci-fi and this whole world that they have built. And I was sucked in like I, I'm like everything that you're showing me is everything that I want to see in a game. The game came out and it felt like a little bit different version of Halo. Like um, I played for I bought the game. I played for maybe four or five hours, shut it off, didn't touch it until 2.0. Um, so I had a, uh, guys in our office that have been playing seriously for a while, um, and kept bugging me to play, you gotta play. Cause I'm, I mean, I'm a wow nerd, right? Like, I, like I, I love MMOs. Um, immersive storytelling specifically, um, which was one of my frustrations with destiny in the first place. And, um, and, uh, he said, you gotta come back for 2.0. And I, and it was like, I came back to a completely different game, man. Um, I, you know, especially with Taken King. So I've actually finished the um, the main story mission completely, um, hit level forty, which is the cap, and have started on 
um, building my light levels and, and doing the taking King. They've just said, look, we understand. I, here's what, here's how I feel that what they're telling me as a player is like, we understand that we build a world that we don't really understand. And we kind of just like made a lot of stuff up, um, and made it sound cool, like vault of glass. And, um, uh, and we're just going to table that for right now. I feel like they're going to get back to a lot of that. Like I still want to know the backstories of the awoken and the EXO, for example. Right. Um, and, and I think we'll get back to that, but like, here's, here's a concise narrative about a king <laughs> and uh, you disagree. No, no, I want to hear your concise narrative. My concise yeah. narrative, mine's even more concise. Go to a place, <laughs> kill all the stuff on it. <laughs> I think you guys are hitting on my exact issue with, I, I think we need to define terms when it comes to storytelling, because I think that. From my perspective, what makes storytelling good is different than maybe <laughs> what, what we're talking about, right? Some people look at a story in a video game and say, oh, the story's good because the, the backstory of the Awoken and the, the galactic conflict. And da, da, da. No, uh, what I'm looking for is what am I doing right now and why am I doing it and where am I going? Like, tell me what I'm doing. I don't care about 3,000 years of history of this planet, that, this amazing book that you wrote in order to design your game uh, with like all the different dynasties and, and, and alien cultures and everything. That's all wonderful. That's backstory. That ain't story. Tell me what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and make that interesting. If what I'm doing is walking into a place, killing everyone there, and then pressing the X button to deploy my little robot thing, that's not a story. That's not a story. That's no. that's. Chris Sorry. will defend better than I will. But to be fair, Jeff, when it was telling the story, when we were going places, you and I were just talking to each other. We weren't listening to the story. <laughs> so we can't say there wasn't story as they're explaining what we're doing and why we're going there. And you and I are talking about we should stream more often. Oh, uh, so-and-so in the Twitch stream says, uh, are you guys going to do it? Yep, we're going to do it on Monday. OK, yeah, but we weren't listening. No, 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 no. I, I agree with you. I, we weren't listening to the cut scene. Uh, but what I'm saying is if you're creating an MMO type experience, give me quests that are interesting. Give me something to do. Give me create what is ostensibly a campaign like mission where I have to sneak into the enemy base and, and do this or that, or, or, you know, I'm looking at a million, I could give you a million examples from MMOs of quests that are different that use the same mechanics. It's still going and, and killing stuff and looting things and using the mechanics of the game, but at least it's contextualizing it in a way that is interesting and, and Chris, not be uh, more articulate than me, please. <laughs> so I think, um, uh, I, I think, uh, Jeff, you make a great point about the semantics of, of talking about game design in general. Um, and, and I, I think your problems, I think there are a ton of problems with, with world building in this game. Um, that goes back to Destiny 1.0, right? Um, but the Taken King in particular, what I love about it is there's a king that's pissed that you killed his son and you have to go kill him. And and that's, but when I say concise narrative, I mean the main story mission of Taken King is you going after Oryx and get rid of him. And um, I don't know if you, have you had a chance to go through a slight spoiler warning, but it's kind of out there by this point. Um, have you, gone through any of the missions with uh Cade talking to you uh Nathan Fillion's character I haven't I haven't gotten very far at all to be honest with you and I haven't done any of the Taken King content so I'm I'm really hoping that 
it it is as improved as I've heard that that people have said. And I'm very hopeful. I'm not I'm not criticizing the Taken King content in particular because I don't have any experience with that. I'm just I'm sort of in general, not even really talking about Destiny, but in general talking about game design and how oftentimes people confuse this backstory and and narrative for for actual moment to moment story. But so yeah, so I'm I'm talking from a lot of ignorance about Destiny in particular. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would just uh, I would highly recommend as, as somebody who loves narrative and storytelling, and and Christian and I argue about this all the time because like for me that's why I play games is is I want story. Um, uh, as opposed to even, I mean, the, the Destiny mechanics were great, um, when it first came out. I mean, it's an incredible shooter. It's one of the best shooters I've ever played, but like, I don't necessarily play games, um, to shoot things. I, that's just part of the process of the storytelling for me. And, um, and I feel like the Taken King specifically has created a very, very clear storyline beginning to end in the solo content, like, like take all the multiplayer stuff aside. If you sit down and you play and I've been driving my wife nuts because I wanted to see what happened in this game. And so this past weekend, man, um, I've been a terrible husband and a terrible dad because I've just been playing <laughs> destiny the entire time. And, um, uh, but it's, it's uh, for me, I was blown away as, as somebody who had written destiny off completely. Um, I was blown away with how well they walk you through the story missions in taking King specifically. And there's incredible voice work in it as well, may I say. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well paid voice work. Uh, Sushi X in the chat room says Destiny has one of the best first person shooter mechanics right next to Call of Duty, Titanfall and Halo. I would certainly not disagree with that. Uh, Christian, you've been sucked back into Destiny as well. You played a lot of it this week, right? I mean, it. yeah, I haven't gone back to Metal Gear since I picked up Taken King. Um, so I Gasp! Been, I know. Uh, exclamation point, um, white color from the side of your screen, all of those things. Um, I did not pick up either expansion when they first came out, so I did the Legendary Edition or whatever it was that came with everything. I think the way that they released the Taken King in terms of a value proposition for digital owners is is still crazy, um, but I got it on on a good deal at Best Buy to do the whole thing, and I feel like my I got my money's worth. But the content is... Um, it's incredible. I, I think that they have fixed a lot of the problems in the first, you know, vanilla destiny. It really was go here, deploy ghost, um, ghost will do something. And then waves of guys will come at you. And then, uh Oh, another wave and taking me a little longer in another wave. And then you go here and do that with the taken King content. Um, very little of the narrative is coming from your ghost. You're getting interesting discussion between characters and, and being led through a story. I think that the problem a difficulty that this game has is that it's meant to be played with others. And so there's a good chance that you will be talking to your friends because your friends <laughs> uh, and like being like, shh, 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 shh. okay, story. You know, I think you will miss things, but the way the levels unfold, the things you're able to do, it's easy to distill a game down cynically and say, yeah, you just go there and kill things. But that's kind yeah. of every first person shooter. Halo 4 Jeff, I remember you describing as pushing a button and then killing things. Um, yeah, well, can I can I can I take it one step further though, Christian? I, I my I honestly feel, and tell me if you disagree, that Destiny, from a very fundamental design level, is sort of meant to be meditative. It's almost meant to be able to be a game that you can that that relaxes you. 
that you can play and shut off most of your brain that you can just sort of do. And it's, you're hanging out with people you like and you're shooting stuff and there's a, a, a feedback loop of pleasure, but it's not, doesn't require a hundred percent of your attention. It doesn't require, maybe I'm completely wrong because I haven't played the high end content. That's super challenging and people will yell at me that that does, but it feels to me like the game is more about just well, that, sort of being together and hanging out, no? The, the grind feedback loop, I think, is. And I think that's something that Destiny 2.0 has done extremely well. I mean, I think I petered out on vanilla around level 20 or something like that. And there were times I would play for an hour or two hours and would make no substantial improvement to my character. Every single time I've sat down to play, now that Taken King is out in, or 2.0, I have come away with something that makes my character better, whether it's uh, a gun, gear, I actually level up because leveling up happens so much faster now or more predictably, I should say, more traditional leveling up structures um, that I find that rewarding. But yeah, it is. But that's also what pickup basketball is, right? Like you're hanging out with your friends and you're trash talking a little bit and you run a play and you have some fun and you move on. That's what everything is if you're not playing it high level I don't competitive. Know. I, well, I guess, but I, I feel like it's, it's that, that thing I always reference about uh, leaning back entertainment and leaning forward entertainment. And I feel like it's, I don't know, maybe I'm over speaking it, but. Yeah. I, I think the brilliance of this game can do both that there are, there are moments like, like if I'm playing crucible or multiplayer stuff, that is not a lean back experience at all, man. That is chaotic. And and requires um, specific attention and is just an absolute blast, right? But if I'm doing like early story content, then I can chill and kill things and go help my friends, um, you know, on on my fire team and and uh, just like help them progress through the story, right? But if again, like um, especially in the the latest Taken King raid, like the very the end game end game content, like it it absolutely is not uh, uh, a Netflix and chill sort of mentality to steal from the chat room. I don't I don't think you know what Netflix and chill means because there's nothing <laughs> oh probably wait nothing that's not what not it means cons- <laughs> that's not um yes yeah, so a lot of people in the a lot of people in the chat room are also talking about raids and I have not experienced a raid in Destiny yet for real and I'm desperate to try that I really really want to do that I, I'm very excited about I want to be I want to be converted so yeah. and then to piggyback and maybe bookend off of Chris's point which I really really agree with is another thing that Destiny maybe suffers from or maybe it's the we as players choose to consume it is that there are so many people that are prophets of destiny that want to share their love for the game. So like Anthony Tower Mina, who's been on this show is like, guys play, I'll help you level up. I'll help you get through some stuff. Come on and play. And then what I think often you find yourself doing is that you're just following your shepherd and you're like, run, run, shoot, run, run, shoot. What do I do now? Where do I go? Run, run, shoot. Instead of sitting down and playing and exploring. So it makes it a lean back because you have this guide who's, max gear that can kill wrong. a boss in, in one shot and then we're just like woohoo support so it's a different yeah. experience you're not wrong yeah uh, i would Chris, i would highly recommend for you to play solo um through the story mission um before getting your friends to come in and, and play with you personally oh, interesting well i'm still playing it we'll, we'll probably be talking about it more next week also uh, Christian is referencing the fact that we streamed some uh, of the of the play session we did a couple hours worth. And if you wanted to, it was cool. We had a bunch of people hanging out with us. I really enjoyed that, and I want to do more of it. So um, my Twitch channel is uh, Kanata Jeff with two N's and one T. 
Uh, so you should subscribe to that. I know, Christian, you have a Twitch channel as well, right? Yeah, it's just Christian Spicer. The plan is to get back to Thursdays at like uh, 1.30, 2 p.m., get it regular again. I took time off after uh, kid number two was born and just talk about Miley Cyrus wrecking ball. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um. So what else is on your playlist, Chris? Um, so, uh, Rocket League, per usual. Um, I actually play Rocket League in tandem with Destiny, where I find that if I get frustrated um, in the Crucible, I'll switch over to Rocket League and uh, play that for a little while to calm me down and then jump back in. Um, Interesting. And then, uh, uh, I, also, here is the Storm. I don't know if you've heard of this game, Jeff, but uh, oh. it's uh, it's a it's a MOBA by Blizzard, or it's it's a, a brawler by, by Blizzard, and um, it's pretty great. I play Sylvanas, and I love it. Um, and, uh, also nice. a game called rivals of aether, which is a, um, it's in, uh, steams. Um, why can't I think of the name of it? Uh, uh, it, it hasn't come out green yet, light? but it's, it's in the, yeah, green light. Hey, there we go. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, sort of like super smash brothers, except 16 bit, um, is the best way to describe hmm. it. And it's a bunch of little animals, um, beating the crap out of each other. And it's, it's a ton of fun. I highly, highly recommend you picking it up. It's like 15 bucks. Um, and, uh, as a fighting game enthusiast, um, I love trying new fighting games and it's a blast. Again, it's called rivals of ether. A E T H E R. Uh, cool. I'll have to check that out. Um, you're playing that on PC, obviously with steam, right? Yes, correct. Cool. Christian, what about you? Tons of destiny. Anything else? Tons of destiny. I have gone back and, and I'm still toiling away at um, Plague of Shadows, which is the Plague Knight DLC for Shovel Knight, which if you missed last week's show, that came out. It is free for every iteration of Shovel Knight. So if you have the game, check it out. Um, I still have not been able to wrap my head around his movement and he throws bombs instead of using the shovel as a sword. And I find myself struggling on bosses. Like I had everything figured out for Shovel Knight. I knew my plan of attack and I I had to go... um, watch a couple of guides to get through a couple of bosses. It, it's crazy how the littlest things can totally shift how you want to play a game. And I'm still playing. I'm living in a Shovel Knight world, man. But uh, Plague Knight does not, does not care. <laughs> I am dying a lot. But it is still, it's fantastic. And, and myself playing and getting agitated and then listening to music before I can fall asleep. <laughs> but it's free, so check it out. It's Plague of Shadows for Shovel Knight. It's free DLC. Jeff, what else... Uh, what else do you have going on? I know you, congratulations, by the way. I saw your Instagram. You are, what, level five? Forgive my Heroes of the Storm speak, but you had you hit a milestone, right? I wasn't going to talk about Heroes of the Storm, Christian. I even let Chris bring it up and not mention it because, uh, I didn't. you know, we had we had VR talk at the beginning. We had Destiny. It was like the perfect storm of, of stuff people think we talk about too much. So I was going to let that go. But, yeah, I got my 300th ranked win this week. Uh, yeah, congratulations. Actually, last night. I got it last night. Thank you uh yeah uh play i played too much of that game so i I did i got 300 this is just in ranked mode that doesn't count all the quick match games i've played which is many more hundreds um yeah i did it in uh, 588 games so you know the goal with matchmaking is to get you at 500 the fact that i'm a little above 500 i'm pretty proud of but i had a lot of other stuff on my playlist this week Uh, i got a chance to go down and play the entire first episode of minecraft story mode which is the new telltale games uh, adventure game set in the Minecraft universe. Um, very interesting. It is very much made for kids. Uh, you know, it's supposed to be appealing to adults as well, but you can definitely see it is geared straight at kids. And it is, it is 
charming and fun. And it's neat how they've managed to take that Minecraft block world aesthetic and put it in a Telltale game and give it some personality in life. It's almost like watching a an animated version of a Minecraft cartoon that you you know that you tune into on Saturday mornings, and it just it's it's that kind of fun. Um, the main character, there's two main characters you can pick from to start the game, a, a male and a female. I picked the male. He's voiced by Patton Oswald, which makes it very charming and fun as well. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that classic telltale style where you're making choices, <laughs> you know, in walking dead, you're making these big moral choices of who's going to live and who's going to die in Minecraft story mode. You're, you're deciding like, who are you going to be better friends with? <laughs> you know, like you are you going to be a cool friend or like a really cool friend? <laughs> you know, it's very, is this, it's very, is this mean girls, the game? No, no, no. I mean, the, the, they very want me to be very careful about spoilers. So I can't talk specifically about the story because the game hasn't come out yet. But basically the idea is you and your buddies are builders and there's rival builders who build stuff in Minecraft. And so at, at certain points, you know, you can have the option of like, but butting up against the the enemy team and they're mean to you, but you can be nice back and you know it's it's very much like you know acceptable for kids. It's 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 nice. Uh, there are some there are some action sequences, although I don't even think you could use that term. But there are a few sequences where you have to swing your sword and attack stuff, and it's very binary. It's very simplistic. There's not much to it. There are a few puzzles. Uh, there's one at the end of the game that's a little bit difficult uh, switch puzzle, but I, you know, for a kid, it would be probably difficult, but a kid and a parent, not so much. Um, it's very straightforward um, and it's fun. There's some cool action sequences. It's got this Goonies vibe where you're this, you know, ragtag group of, of friends and you get in over your head pretty quickly. Um, I don't think I would recommend it to, to any of my contemporaries as far as, you know, age group. But if you have a young kid that is into Minecraft, I think it's an easy win there. It's a fun game for them, and it introduces some fun characters, and it, it's in the world they already love. So, yeah, it's it's cool. It, it definitely hits its target demo perfectly. Um, I also got a chance to go down to the uh, Oculus Connect and, and play a few things. I got a chance to play more of Narcosis, which is the game that our friend Jeff Mattis is doing VO for, uh, which is much improved since the last time I saw it. It's that survival horror undersea game uh man it's creepy and scary i was freaking out playing it um it, it's some really really cool effects have been added now it's you know playing it in the oculus you're inside a uh, undersea diving suit the whole time so it, it really having the mask on your face really adds to the experience and they have this thing now where like your breath you can see your breath reflect on the visor in front of you and you see like reflections of the readouts in front of you. It's really, really slick. So that's one to keep an eye on as well. But the game that totally blew me away at Oculus Connect, I got to play the first two levels of Land's End, which is the new game from the developers of Monument Valley. And this is exclusive to VR. It's exclusive to Gear VR because it's a mobile game. It's meant to be a mobile game. And you literally play it with your head only. <laughs> there is no controller. There is no input other than looking at stuff. And it is extraordinary. The idea is you play it 
in a swivel chair. So you're supposed to play it in like a desk chair that can swivel 360 degrees. And since the Gear VR has no has no uh, uh, wires, you can't get tangled in anything. So it works out really, really well. You're in this beautiful, idyllic island area, and there are uh, little dots on your horizon that you can look at. And when you look at them, a little HUD dot appears, and then it, so it shows you that you're, you know, you're pinpointing on that spot. And if you hold your vision on that spot long enough, a little reticle will spin, kind of like how they do in Destiny, where you hold the button down and it spins the circle around the button. And if you look at that spot long enough, you will move to that spot. You will glide gracefully to that new location. And then after you've done that a bit and you're exploring this island, you'll come to areas where you can't, you don't have a new dot to look at. You have to figure out how to manifest a new dot to look at. And usually you have to get past something. So there'll be these little dots on stones. And this is, it's a very mystical environment. It's, it feels very old and, you know, like Stonehenge, but sort of more tropical. And you realize that you can, if you stare at the dots, you can connect them using, it'll draw a little line. But there's only so much energy to be spent in connecting them. So you have to create a pattern that's the most efficient so that you can you have enough length of connection to get from dot to dot, to make the connection, to open up the new area, to move through it. So it's all about progressing through the environment by making these dot connections. Quick question. And then, oh, go ahead. Oh, so maybe maybe it's about to answer it. <laughs> go ahead. Um, why VR? The game sounds uh, great. I, you haven't sold me on it being VR. Well, you are, so you're in, a, a, as I said, a swivel chair. So sometimes where you need to go is completely behind you or around the corner, or you're, you're constantly swiveling around looking through the environment. You're in this environment, and you're constantly looking for where to go next, how to get there, what to look at, and you're just looking at it with your, with your eyes, and then if you hold your gaze on it, you move to that, to that space. So after you've done that a little bit, then you start finding blocks that you can move with your mind. I'm telling you, this is as close as I've ever been to being Magneto in real life. It's awesome. And it only is awesome because it's in VR. Like you could do this with a mouse. And I'm sure there's many games that have done it with a mouse. And it's fine. And it's interesting. So there's these, these blocks that have a, a different sort of symbol on them. And if you look at that symbol, it sort of like latches onto that rock. And then if you move your head left or right, very subtly... You can pick the rock up and and carry it with you or throw it. And it's all about just like staring at it, lifting your head slightly, and then moving your head in space. So you really feel like you're a magician or you're a mutant levitating an object with your mind and carrying it over to the area you need it to be in in order to continue to create these dot connections to open up the next space. Dude, Billy, I don't know how to... Room. I'm trying. Dude, You're just sitting there. <laughs> it, it is. It's. It's like. It's like as close as I've ever come to be a Jedi. Uh, Jedi. You know, move stuff with my mind or Magneto. It. It's an extraordinary experience. It's very cool. Chris, this is you, right? I mean, I feel like the oh, good thing yeah. about you on this show is that you can you can bolster. You can be a flying buttress to Jeff's VR. 
Um, whereas I, I feel like, great, whatever, uh, doesn't justify the tech. <laughs> um, so you're telling me, you're telling me being Magneto or a Jedi doesn't justify the tech. Staring at something and having it move with my, my eye does not justify the use case for this tech versus playing this game with the mouse and keyboard or a traditional controller. Crazy, um, dude. Uh, when does it, uh, Jeff, did, did they say when this was releasing, is it going to be out for the holiday? I, I, I don't think they have a specific date, but I think they're, they're targeting for when the gear VR launches. They want to be, they want to be the killer app for gear VR. And I'm telling you this, it's, it's, I talked a lot when, when, uh, around E3, I got a chance to play super hypercube on the Sony VR on the PlayStation VR. And to me, that was this perfect, simple idea that you grasp really well. You get it, and it's it, it's very simple, and it expresses itself in VR very efficiently, and you understand why it needed to be in VR and why being in VR makes it better. And I think this is that same thing. If you have somebody who has a Sony, or excuse me, a uh, Samsung phone and has the Gear VR headset, this is the app when you're in the park or whatever, and you're like, just walk over there, put this on, stand under that tree. You're going to have to rotate 360 degrees in order to play it. So just stand up. You will get it. You will get what makes this so special. It's, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Um, I was just told by, by someone in my office who apparently is watching that Land's End is due for release on October 30th and will be available via the Oculus Store. There you go. Yeah, they, they really want to be that killer app for the for the um gear vr and they want to be you know they want to be the thing that that is on in all the commercials for gear vr they want to be the 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 thing that people recommend you know oh yeah if you got VR, gear vr download land's end I, I think it's the perfect app for that because it you don't need anything else you don't need a controller you don't need anything else you just and you get it so quickly and it's so simple and it's beautiful and the thing that i said to the developers too is what I loved about it is you're solving these puzzles and the puzzles get, I only did the first two levels, uh, which were pretty meaty, but the, and the puzzles get pretty interesting, right? They're not super hard, but there's broken blocks that you have to reassemble with your mind and create the right patterns. So they get pretty intense, but the coolest thing is the reward for doing it correctly is you get to fly, right? It, it glides you to the next destination. And there was a part where I, you know, flew by a waterfall and I moved a thing in front of the waterfall with my mind and it prevented the water from cascading down on top of me. And dude, you, you're in this 3d environment, you're moving stuff with your mind. And then when you do it correctly, you get to fly. Okay. Question. What else do I need to say? I think I've distilled. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. I just want to say the killer app for VR is immersion. I mean, the yes. the fact that you feel like you're in a world is is what will once you know the, it's it's going to take adoption. It's going to take people actually using the product, and it's going to take time. But um, immersion is what's going to get people to buy this product. Immersion with simplicity and low cost of entry. I then I agree with you, and that's why I think VR is the future. Sure. I just think it's the future much further out future than where we are. So here's my question that I think maybe distills my thoughts on current VR. So Jeff, this game is a system seller, device seller, whatever, whatever. Here's, here's my question to you. Splatoon is an excellent game reviewed by many as a nine or 10 out of 10. Mario maker is an excellent game reviewed by many as an eight, nine or 10 out of 10. 
Would you recommend someone go out and buy a Wii U right now? Would I? Yes. I I, I think that if you uh, like Nintendo games, then you're going to find a lot to like with the Wii U, yeah. So you're saying that the Wii U for gamers is a system that most gamers should own. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to use the word should i'm saying if you look at the stable of games they have now i would say don't buy it for games you expect to happen in the future because you're going to be disappointed i would say if 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 there are if you're into mario kart and super smash brothers and uh the game you know all the games you've already mentioned then go for it yeah it's fantastic now you're you're hedging a little bit chris do you see the corner i'm trying to put you guys in where there's a <laughs> I am system. not listen. I am not there, willing to submit to your lawyering tactics. <laughs> there is a system True. out already that exists with incredible games that most people are saying don't buy. It's not worth your money. But yet here's a system that's not out yet with one potential decent flying experience that costs six hundred to seven hundred dollars to get into, and everyone's championing it like it's sliced no, bread. No, 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 no. I, I think you're. I'm saying I'm saying that if you've got a Samsung Galaxy phone or you're considering buying a Samsung Galaxy phone and VR sounds awesome to you and 99 bucks to add the Gear VR headset, I think that's a pretty pretty good proposition. And then this this mobile game, which is probably going to be priced like a mobile game, uh, I'm guessing it's probably going to be just a few dollars. I don't know their actual price point, but I don't think it's gonna it's gonna be any more than Monument Valley was. Um, I think it, I'm not saying rush out and buy a phone to play this game. I'm saying if, if you need a phone and you want a phone and the galaxy looks like a good phone. And for me, it's the first time that I really am tempted to get out of that Apple ecosystem because there's something that is demonstrably better. That is a differentiator for the kinds of experiences that I can have on my phone. And that's freaking VR dude. Yeah. I think Oculus Oculus connect Two has confirmed that VR is a real platform that will have real software that has real developers creating awesome experiences. And that this is Land's End is just one example of those experiences. I think when it comes out this year, it's going to be, it's going to be a part of the higher end of the market, but we're not looking at the 3DO, right? We're not looking at TurboGrafx 16. We're not looking I did, at I something bought both of where, those, by the way. I bought both of those. <laughs> that doesn't so surprise don't, me. Don't go by me. Don't go by me. I'm, I'm ruining your argument because I bought both of those. Yeah. Um, but, but it's, but those, I mean, if you look back at those systems and you look back, um, throughout history about the, the higher end systems that failed, it's because they didn't have developer support. And like Oculus is proving with these specifically with these conferences and with, with these sort of events that the developer support is there and that in the near, near, near future next year, you know, we're going to see some amazing immersive experiences come to this particular platform. That is why it's going to succeed now. It may not get to, you know, the middle market even, right? It's going to be in households that have every other single device. But that's still, I mean, that still can push a lot of units in this day and age. I agree 100%. Uh, all right, let's move on because I do want to uh, get to uh, tabletop time because I know you've got some awesome stuff to talk about. But I do have to thank our second sponsor, which is Hover. Hover. Oh, my gosh. When you have an idea that you want to secure a domain name for, you want something catchy. You want something memorable. You want something that represents your online identity. And with Hover, you can find the perfect domain to bring your idea to life. It's easy. Just search for the domain you want or just enter a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options and suggestions. They have a huge variety of domain extensions like .com, .net, .io, and country codes 
to best suit your needs. You'll get a smart control panel, built-in DNS, and you can even add a custom email or Google Apps if you want as well. Hover offers a valet transfer service to make it easy for you to move your domains for no additional cost. And they do all the dirty work to move your domain over from your current registrar. And to top it all off, Hover has real human beings available for support with no wait, no hold, no transfer phone service. If you've got any problems, you just pick up the phone, you call, you talk to a human being. So go check out hover.com slash 5 by 5 to learn more and get the domain of your dreams. Thanks to Hover to support the show. Again, hover.com, H-O-V-E-R.com slash 5 by 5 I have to say that I use Hover a lot and love it. Do you really? Yeah, absolutely. I hope you go to hover.com slash 5 by 5 when you do that. Absolutely. Please. Please. <laughs> All right, guys, let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Chris, you got some great board games here on your list of stuff that you've been playing uh, on the tabletop. What do you want to start with? Oh, man. Um, so Gen Con wasn't that long ago. It was like a month ago, maybe at this point. Um, yeah. I was able to get a really good haul out of um, yeah, it. Despite my wife's protests. Yeah, absolutely. So it's um, oh, Indianapolis so is only an hour away from Cincinnati. So um, nice. it uh, it was great. Um, and uh, but I, I had a good haul. The top of that that stack from Gen Con was Mysterium um mysterium is a yes i did yeah Ah. um so i have the polish version (laughs) i can't imagine playing because it took us forever to figure out how to play this game in english i couldn't imagine trying to learn how to play it in polish um but so i actually uh um in in our area um i i'm pretty infamous for having uh board game nights at my house where we have about 50 people come and board games till three or 4 AM. And, um, and this game ended up sucking almost that entire night. Um, we played last week, I think. And, uh, but the game, the game, it's, it's incredible. The game itself, um, is, uh, you're, you're, it's a collaborative game. Um, you are a bunch of psychics and one person is the ghost. So it's asymmetric. And, um, the goal of the game is it's very similar to clue in the sense that you're trying to find, um, who murdered the ghost, um, you know, what location uh, the murder happened and what was the murder weapon. Um, and the, then the ghost has to give you sort of um, clues with with like a dream state or these these they're just they're cards that have art on them. And you have to interpret those dreams and try to figure out what the ghost is trying to tell you to um, to move forward. Um, I that kind of covers it. Right, Jeff. Is there anything you want to add about it? Yeah, no, that's uh, that's right on. Actually, Christian has played this as well, and he was the ghost. Um, and I know that Christian didn't love it. I've heard that the English version has a new ending, a different, different ending that is actually more difficult. That you have to like vote on something or something. Um, right? not not that I can recall, but but the, we've only played through it once, so I, I may not have um played through it correctly but um oh yes uh we i believe at the end we have to all vote whether or not that's the actual killer or or something to that effect but we had a we had a moment in the game i mean i love board games where like epic moments happen because 
those things typically don't go together, right? Like board games tend to be kind of chill unless you're playing like resistance or something like that, that everyone's screaming at each other and, and <laughs> you, you know, friends. Um, but, uh, I, we had a moment where we had, uh, two people left trying to figure out, you know, who, what the murder weapon was. We had one hour left. So this was our last hour because you, you're, you're on, it's, it's a time-based game. You only have, I think like seven rounds to kind of figure out everything. And, um, and we were on our last, it was the 11th hour. Two people hadn't figured out what their, um, what their murder weapon was, which is you are assigned, um, a character location and murder weapon. And you as a psychic are stating that is not who the killer is. So the, 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 um, the cards that are left are, are who the, who the, the, um, who killed the ghost and, and where and, and murder weapon. So, um, Two, two of our, our people hadn't figured out the murder weapon. And, you know, last last hour, we get two cards from the ghost that kind of sort of made sense. And we had some ideas and and time was running out and we were like, OK, I think we're going to do this. And then at the last second, somebody said, oh, here, there's like a rope in in this particular card. Maybe it's this. And then we switched it around right before time ran out. And the ghost was like. Yeah, you guys got it right at the very last second. And the whole nice. place cheered. And I mean, that's <laughs> so rare to find in board games. And the fact that Mysterium created that moment was was epic for me. So I'm I've been digging that big time. Right on. And not exactly the experience we had, Christian. Christian was very frustrated with, with us. Like, why don't you idiots know that I'm showing you the car with a <sighs> It's dignity. It's clearly a picture of <laughs> dignity. <laughs> yeah it's it's rough because the game the game's all about trying to communicate without being able to say anything and you think you're being very clear but the cards are so enigmatic and the artwork is so strange and bizarre it really is open to interpretation which is what makes the game fun and also frustrating to the to the ghost yeah it's especially fun when like you're playing with somebody that you know really well um and, and because you you know how they think and they know how you think it it, it um you can kind of take bets on okay are we are we on the same page or not and to me that mechanic the fact like does this person know me or does this person not know me plays into the game so much because there were times like i was one of the first person to get through um you know all my my three different items and that was because the ghost i'm like okay i know the way that he thinks he's you know he's counting the numbers on this or or the the number of items on this particular card he doesn't care about the color he doesn't you know and like i that kind of mental intuition is just it is so much fun for a game like this uh any other games you want to bring up um yeah just real quick welcome to the dungeon is a um it's it's sort of a mini game um you um it's it's two to four players i think um but you can you essentially pick a uh character to run through a dungeon um but everyone in the group is stacking the dungeon with enemies and then taking away equipment for that character. And uh last person in the turn is the one that has to run that character through the dungeon. Uh, really quick, nice little mini RPG kind of party game that uh, is an absolute blast. It's like 10, 12 bucks or something on Amazon. Highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, it's one of those new micro games, and it's it's very similar to a game that I talked about, I don't know, several weeks ago now uh, called Gauntlet of Fools, where it's sort of like how – it's a push your luck. Like, oh, I can beat the dungeon with, with less stuff on, 
Um, it's pretty clever, pretty interesting little game, I thought, for, for a very inexpensive price point. So, yeah, it's called Welcome to the Dungeon. Very cool. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about a new role-playing game experience that I tried for the first time this week. Um, I've talked about my D&D group over and over that I'm uh, DMing. But we try. We hadn't met for a while, and so I said, "Hey, we, you know, we. It's been a while since we've been doing this this D and D campaign. Can we try something new this week?" And I bought from Fantasy Flight. I bought uh, this thing called The End of the World, and there are five books. Uh, not all of them are out yet, but the End of the World line of role playing games uh, are the same rule set, but there's different scenarios. Uh, there's like the robot uprising. There's the Cthulhu death from the gods. There's going to be um, a whole bunch of them. The one I got was the zombie apocalypse. So these are just all sort of famous ways the world can end. Uh, And and each book is, you know, a different, very characteristic way the world can end and different scenarios that make up that genre sort of from books or movies or whatever. Difference about this role-playing game from D&D or any other role-playing ga- game I've ever played is that you you don't make up a character like a dwarf warrior or a barbarian or anything. You start the end of the world as yourself, and you create a character that is as close to you as you possibly can, and it's about how long you can survive the, po- the apocalypse as you and your group of friends who are actually you. I'm telling you guys, this was one of the most fun times we've ever had. What I did, because I was running the game, I bought the book, I read the book. I didn't tell anybody what we were doing. I just said, trust me, guys, because the cool thing about these these games is that character creation is part of it. Like, you show up and you create your character as part of the game. Usually in these games, you'd create your character ahead of time and show up to play. But the way character creation works is you have... Uh, some stats and you put points in those stats, but then everybody else votes on whether they think you're accurately representing yourself in those stats and they can vote whether you think you gave yourself too high or too low or just about right in all these stats. And the stats are like uh, empathy and vitality, sort of your ability to like lift stuff or whatever uh, your, your charisma Stuff that is is sort of usual role-playing stats, but you're trying to create as accurate a representation of the actual person. And then after you voted, you get these traits that are very much real-world traits, good and bad. And depending on how the voting goes, you, ha- you get additional good traits or additional bad traits. And the traits can be as simple as, like, you have a tummy ache today, or you, uh, you're afraid of heights, or you're particularly funny, or you're good at... Uh, you know, you, you're really good at shooting a gun. Maybe you, in real life you really are. Or maybe in real life you, uh, you know, you, you are good with computers. Any of these traits, you get to assign them to yourself and, and people can suggest them to you. The book has a lot of examples. But you're trying to create as accurate a representation of yourself. And the equipment that you have, you know, wherein in D&D you would have swords and shields and armor. The equipment is anything you have on or near your person at that moment. So like your cell phone, your car keys, maybe you have a a book bag with some stuff in it. You're just yourself in this moment. And then (laughs) I started the game like we all got together to play D&D 
and everybody was there and everybody was wondering where Jeff was because Jeff didn't show up. Usually he's here by now. And where is Jeff? And then so some spoilers for the for one of the episodes of this of this book if you're interested in playing it. There are various scenarios, five different scenarios. One of the scenarios is this meteor shower causes radiation and it causes things to come back from the dead. So everybody's hanging out at the thing and then meteors start landing in the yard that are glowing green. And so the guys were like, well, we stand up and we go and we check it out. We look out the window. And then I had my car drive up outside and they say, oh, hey, it's Jeff. And then a giant meteor came and landed on my car, killing me. And so, of course, they all like ran out to see if I was okay, still not knowing what game we were playing, like what was going to happen. And then I like reanimated from the radiation and started attacking them. And then uh, so they're dealing with the fact that their friend is is a zombie. And so they run in the house and they're getting like improvising uh, different weapons. Dan Trachtenberg, who was playing with us, uh, pulled down the, the curtain rods and was using that as a weapon. Uh, and there's stuff in the game for like representing all that stuff in the game mechanics. Uh, and then they they clubbed me to death. They killed me. And then I had a police car pull up just as that happened. And so they had to try to explain to the police officers what was happening. And the police officers think they're crazy that there's no zombies. It was so fun and so grounded in a reality. Unlike, you know, it's fun to create these fantasy worlds and put people in mystic uh, locations and castles and whatever. But when you can actually reference the actual house you're in you can say, oh, I walk over there and I pick up that thing because that thing really is over there. It is an extraordinary experience. And then we got, you know, as the game progressed, they were trying to figure out what they were going to do. And as the zombie apocalypse started happening and more people were rising from the dead and the, you know, the, the city around them was, was falling into chaos, they were referencing real places like, okay, well, we're going to drive down the street and we're going to go over here. And we all were on the same page about the geography of the world and what stuff existed in it because we all actually live there. I've never had an experience like that, and it was, it was awesome. Screw VR. Jeff, you have just brought about actual reality, and it's the best game there is. Yeah. It, uh, it, it, it's such I, an awful dad joke. Well, I am a fantastic dad, so as a fantastic dad, I am entitled <laughs> to making plenty of awful jokes. <laughs> Um, did this, uh, Jeff, w- did you find that you had to have a lot of investment up front as a DM for this? Well, I'll tell you this, the game, the book that you buy has very little in terms of, um, actual scenario. The scenarios are, are, are well-written and interesting, but there's, and they give you like this timeline of how things happen and they give you other characters to interact with, but there's very little in terms of like moment to moment knowing where to send your players. It really is very open. And I think that the thing I had to embrace is it's going to be a, this is going to be a much more of an improvisation than any other DMing I've ever done in the sense that these people, we're all in the real world. We all know exactly what's around us. So they're going to be able to go completely wherever they go. And the, and the book basically just has like stock generic locations, like a hospital or a park or a, a freeway. And so when they go, okay, we're going to go, you know, we're going to try to get supplies like they decided they were going to go to the veterinary hospital that's down the street to get some medical supplies. So I just sort of adapted that to what I knew of the veterinary hospital. I adapted the hospital that's in the book. So 
it definitely required much more on the fly thinking, but because you're dealing with locations that everybody is familiar with because they're real, it's much easier. So the, the mechanics of actually how you play the dice rolling stuff, I found to be very loose and not, not the cool. It's all about, um, it's all six uh, D6s. So it's just a series of D6s. And you add more D6s for positive things that can affect your die roll. And you add more negative D6s for negative things that can affect your die roll. And then you can get traumas and stresses and stuff from bad rolls. But um, I found that to be really loose and very open to interpretation. It was sort of like just, it was an interesting system that just allowed you to, to put in whatever personality quirks you wanted. Uh, I thought it was pretty good, but it, it didn't have the like rigorous structure of of a D and D where you know you're in battle and you're doing stuff. Um, so I think some people didn't didn't like that as much. But the story overall was so fun that everybody walked away going, "That was one of the most fun nights we've ever had playing role playing." So I really want to I really want to have you guys do it, Christian. I want to have you do it with with a group. But now you kind of know. Part of the fun is the surprise. Like I really. I really suggest that people don't tell their group what they're about to do before they do it. Yeah, I'm game. I mean, it sounds fun. For me, it is. It's always just the time commitment and carving away. Like, I love couch co-op or playing games with people in the same room, and board gaming requires that, but it's just uh, balancing that with everything else in life, unfortunately. But I would love to club you with a with the you know, <laughs> curtain hanger. <laughs> it, was, it was disturbing how quickly they, they were willing to tell me off. <laughs> Oh, uh, he might be a zombie. Wait, guys, I think he's fine. No, no, no. Let's I was like, kill him. I was like, wait a minute. Would you guys really do this? If you, if you, <laughs> basically what happened was like, they saw me dead and then I reached out and grabbed my friend's arm and, and squeezed it. I was like, you would start attacking me? Wouldn't you think, oh my gosh, maybe he's alive. Maybe we can save him. They're like, no man, zombie apocalypse. We, we, we knew it was going down. It's like, oh, fine. <laughs> yeah. First, first guess is always get a baseball bat. <sighs> I guess so. sounds awesome. Yeah, it's it, again. It's called End of the World. It's uh, a series from Fantasy Flight Games, and uh, it is. Um, it's a, there's a whole bunch of there's five books. All, all of them are out yet. Uh, all right, guys, let's wrap up this episode of uh, of fun. I really have have enjoyed this one. Thanks for being on, Chris Bergman. Uh, where can people follow your stuff this week? Uh, yeah, oh, thanks for having me, you guys. This has been an absolute blast um you can find me you asked where where people can find me right yes yes um on twitter at chris bergman um is probably the best place to get a hold of me uh please by all means if you have kids especially kids age 4 to 12 download chore monster um at choremonster.com um yeah i think those are those are two places to check me out awesome uh, we do have the uh, parting gift coming up, but Christian, where can people find you this week? Online, it's always great on Twitter at Spicer. Apparently no EO, but I still enjoy using their service. It's at Spicer. And then October's uh, approaching quickly. I have a bunch of shows in October um, starting on Thursday. Sketch Melt at Nerd Melt at, uh, in Los Angeles. Friday, Trifecta at UCB Sunset. Um, Saturday, um, well, I don't know where that is yet, but I'm, uh, doing a show with Dean Del Rey and, and uh, Brian Callum's going to be great. Um, anyway, 
things that aren't in LA. Oh no, more LA stuff. The sixth, I'm at the comedy store. Seventh, uh, the eighth is improv versus stand up at UCB Franklin. All of this stuff though is easily found by following me on Twitter at Spicer. Those are LA shows. If you're in LA, tweet at me and I will tell you where I am. Oftentimes, um, I don't know where I'm going to be that night until that night because that's how comedy often works in LA. And other times, you tell me you're going to come to a show and then um, they change the time on me and I go up early, but then we go to <laughs> Carney's and eat dinner and it's still fun. <laughs> it is fun. That's right. Um, we all will get to the uh, parting gift right now. I, I do want to tell people that you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Canada with two N's and one T. Uh, or you should check out uh, the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilmcast.com and we have concerns at WeHaveConcerns.com. Um, also please check out our subreddit, hang out there. There's a cool community of people there at uh, 5x5 dot <clears throat> uh, And, uh, you can send us emails at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. What I would like this week <laughs> is, uh, whether it's worth ditching our live feed, uh, to have better audio because, um, I'm uh, my understanding is that you from reading the chat is that uh, Skype has been particularly bad this week and it was particularly bad last week. And uh, if the uh, weird hiccups and stuff are so annoying for downloadable listeners, uh, I want to know and I want to know if, if it's better to have that feedback. I love the feedback from the live listeners, uh, but if we need to start recording just locally and uh, uploading the show for download only. Uh, let me know um, because I love having having people give us their suggestions uh, in real time and have, have us you know add things to the conversation in real time in the chat. But if the end product is it's hard to listen to, uh, it might not be worth it. Okay, um, so let's get to the parting gift, guys. We got stuff to recommend to people. Hey, give us a suggestion. Chris, do you have a suggestion for people to help them get through their week? Um, I have uh, this one's a little bit, probably a little bit further than a week, but but my suggestion is to go to conferences, um, whether it be game conferences or industry conferences or whatever. Just find an event, plan it, go there. Um, I have my career completely shifted um, when I went to South by Southwest in two thousand seven, specifically. And um, and uh, and and I've made some of the most amazing, wonderful friends at things like PAX and Gen Con and GDC. And um, I just I, I can't say enough how much um, going to these events. And I mean, like, I understand that it can be challenging from a financial standpoint. Um, we ended up when when we did that year's South by me and a buddy ended up sleeping on somebody's couch that we met on the Internet. This is before Airbnb. Um, and, uh, and had, we drove 22 hours straight to get there. So I, I, I mean, I just think, uh, the amount of impact that three days, um, can have on, on your life, uh, is, is pretty substantial. And, uh, so my parting gift is go find, go find an event to go to and go to that and meet people and have fun. Awesome. Yeah. I can definitely agree with that. Amazing experiences. Uh, Christian, how about you? I'd mentioned uh, the comic before. It's called The Map, and it's by Chad Kavanaugh and Grunt 
1B Studios, but I am also a fan of graphic novels or collections. And volume one of the map is now available, which collects the first six issues, I believe, in a nice um, new cover and some new artwork in there as well. It is called The Map, and it is by Chad Cavanaugh. The first volume is available now if you prefer to read your comics that way, like I do. So check it out. My parting gift is uh, a show you definitely have heard of, but maybe you're not currently watching. If you've dropped off of South Park, can I remind you how amazing South Park is? Uh, season 19 just started, the first two episodes I watched, and uh, it is as good or better than it has ever been. Still so smart, so biting, so fiercely fearless. It, I can't even believe that these guys are still this good at what they do almost 20 seasons later. Um and now they have introduced this new thing in South Park, which is amazing that they're willing to do. And that's continuity. Uh, each season carries, each episode in a season carries over and the stuff that happened from the last episode still happened. So not only are they writing these things like at the last minute, but they're incorporating stuff and setting stuff up over a long series arc. This season has been ridiculously, in, incredibly bold and offensive in the best possible way. I recommend it. If you're not watching South Park season 19, you should be. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks to Chris Bergman and Christian Spicer. Thanks to the folks at five by five for making this show possible. Thank you everyone in the chat room. I see the outpouring of people saying, keep the live chat. I love it. I appreciate you guys. I love having the, the live chat. I love the input that you bring to the show. Uh, thank you to everyone who's downloaded this and is listening to it now. You're the best. We appreciate you. Uh, we will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>